The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 31st of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion for now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The Israeli attack on Gaza intensifies with no end in sight, despite the human loss so far of some 8,300 Palestinian lives. I urge all those with responsibility to step back from the brink. And I reiterate my appeal for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire, the unconditional release of all hostages, and the delivery of a sustained humanitarian relief at a scale that meets the needs of the people of Gaza. That appeal for a ceasefire yesterday from the Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, who was speaking in Natal. His appeal, however, fell on deaf Israeli ears. Just as the United States would not agree to a ceasefire, after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, or after the terrorist attack of 9-11, Israel will not agree to a cessation of hostilities with Hamas after the horrific attacks of October 7th. Calls for a ceasefire are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas, to surrender to terrorism, to surrender to barbarism. That will not happen. Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, also speaking yesterday, determined, as he puts it, not to surrender to Hamas. The situation in Gaza is growing more desperate by the hour. I regret that instead of a critically need humanitarian pause supported by the international community, Israel has intensified its military operations. The number of civilians who have been killed and injured is totally unacceptable. All parties must respect their obligations under international humanitarian law. International humanitarian law applies to war, but in Tel Aviv, Netanyahu was talking about the conflict from a biblical perspective. The Bible says that there is a time for peace and a time for war. This is a time for war, a war for our common future. Today we draw a line between the forces of civilization and the forces of barbarism. It is a time for everyone to decide where they stand. Israel will stand against the forces of barbarism until victory. Both Netanyahu and Guterres called on world leaders to unite. We must join forces to end this nightmare for the people of Gaza, Israel and all those affected around the world. It is clear, however, that the United Nations and Israel are looking at uh, this conflict with Hamas from very different positions. I hope and pray that civilized nations everywhere will back this fight. Because Israel's fight is your fight. Because if Hamas and Iran's axis of evil win, you will be their next target. That's why Israel's victory will be your victory. But make no mistake, regardless of who stands with Israel, Israel will fight until this battle is won. And Israel will prevail. Israel will continue to fight, obviously, listening to the Israeli Prime Minister and continue the killing of people. As we mentioned, so far that amounts to 8,300 people in Gaza. UNICEF says 70% of those 
are women and children. In fact, at this stage, 3,400 children are said to have lost their lives in Gaza. That's before you mention the thousands of children who've been injured. And UNICEF says that every single day, 420 children are being killed or injured in Gaza. Let's speak to Peter Parr, Executive Director of UNICEF Ireland. A very good morning to you, Peter. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. We're looking at an atrocity on a scale that has rarely ever been seen before, obviously. Uh, Good morning, Michael. Uh, Yes, you played some clips there from yesterday's meeting of the uh, Security Council uh, and our UNICEF Global Executive Director, uh, Catherine Russell, also briefed the Security Council on the situation on the ground as it pertains to children. And she briefed the Council on the reports from our people, uh, which uh, echo what the Secretary General of the United Nations said, which is basically that the situation is deteriorating hour by hour day by day now, and as the head of our sister UN agency, um, uh, Mr. Lazzarini, uh, the head of the United Nations Works Agency, uh, commented to the Security Council that civil order is now breaking down inside Gaza. So it's making a a, a desperate situation even worse. Mm, And that's uh, because of the desperation of people to find some of the most fundamental things that are not otherwise available to them, food, water, etc., Yes, uh, as you know, I I was in Gaza uh, shortly before the atrocities uh, took place on the 7th of October, and I was able to see firsthand what the humanitarian situation was on the ground. I spent most of my time in the north and in around Gaza City, visited a desalinization plant just south of Gaza City. But you, you know, when you're in Gaza, you can't but be struck. uh, This is before the the violence that the. the whole area and the people of Gaza are just uniquely dependent uh, on a daily basis for supplies to be uh, brought into the area. It doesn't really produce anything, little if if, if any agriculture. Uh, So all the necessities for for life have to be brought into this very, very small area, but uh, smaller than the size of County Loud and half the population of Ireland. In it, so everything needs to be uh, brought in, and when uh, those necessities aren't brought in for upwards of three weeks now, uh, the, the supplies which were prepositioned in various United Nations depots uh, in the Gaza Strip, they, they, um, uh, those supplies are uh, running out now, and that's why desperate people, as you mentioned, Michael, desperate people raided those uh, shelters. We heard from our own people inside in Gaza yesterday, and they're painting an increasingly a desperate situation, I have to say. Mm. A dangerous situation for one and all. Probably uh, no doubt that this has to be the most dangerous corner of the world at the moment. In fact, uh, United Nations aid staff, uh, members of UNRWA have lost their lives. 64 members yes. of UNRWA have died at this stage. Yes. Yes, I mean, there, there is no safe place in Gaza. Again, as I say, from just being there a few short weeks ago, um, never could I have imagined you know, the situation which was about to transpire. But the density 
of the population is something that really strikes you as soon as you get in. Just, you know, 2.3 million people just crammed into a very, very uh, small area. So uh, even though much of the bombing has been in the north, the, the, the middle, uh, Khan Yunus, where many hundreds of thousands of people are now sheltering in United Nations shelters, uh, and even in the south near the Rafa border crossing, uh, it, uh, that has been bombed as well. So there mm. really is no safe uh, space. And of course, security, as you would have heard from the from the Secretary General of the Security Council yesterday, security is absolutely paramount now because there are enormous supplies of humanitarian aid stockpiled now on the Egyptian side of this Rafa crossing on the south. Uh, UNICEF, we have uh, enough water for 270,000 people. Uh, we have tents, blankets, we have medicines, therapeutic food for children. Uh, other agencies have similar amounts of humanitarian aid. And we really, really need to get that in now because, as I said, supplies uh, are running out very, very quickly. Mm. Uh, given the determination uh, and how much of a priority you believe uh, is needed to get this vital aid to people, you must be um, really... Uh, downbeat listening to the Israeli Prime Minister saying there's not going to be a ceasefire, there's not going to be let up uh, being biblical saying there's a time for peace and a time for war, this is the time for war Uh, from UNICEF's perspective your focus is obviously on children Uh, and with so many children not just caught up in this but being terribly injured uh, because of the attacks and losing their lives on such a scale. It's incredible over the last few weeks, 3,400 children. Uh, It seems as though uh, there's no end in sight. Would you uh, agree with that at the moment? Yes, well, uh, our uh, global executive director just briefed the Security Council yesterday to say that uh, each and every day approximately 400 children uh, are either killed or seriously injured. And I think we should reflect on on that figure. That is an enormous um, uh, amount of children uh, being killed, injured, uh, and even beyond that. And this was one thing that struck me when I was there, Michael. Um, the amount of children who are psychologically traumatised uh, by uh, what they had seen, this is even pr- prior to October the 7th, the amount of children uh, suffering from psychological trauma was incredible. We visited trauma centres, uh, which UNICEF is supporting across the north of Gaza, uh, where children are given a social and psychological help to uh, recover from the, uh, what they have experienced, the sort of uh, life they're living inside Gaza. But sorry, to answer your question uh, directly in relation to um, in relation to a cessation of hostilities, every humanitarian agency which is active in inside Gaza or who has supplies outside Gaza is now calling uh, for a cessation of hostilities, at least at the very southern end of Gaza, where we can get in aid for distribution to our local distribution mm. uh, partners. They're calling for a stable and continuous cessation of violence. So at least the Rafa border crossing can be opened on a, on a sustained, continuous uh, basis because th- that aid is absolutely critical now. It is really a matter of life and death for uh, so many people. 
So it's uh, it is a desperate situation, uh, but we cannot uh, we cannot despair. We have to uh, hope that we will be able to get in this aid. We about thirty trucks got in yesterday, but again, I mm. I tried to put it in, in an Irish context, Michael. You know the population, you know half the population of Ireland, in a place beside a county Louth, with no food getting in on a daily basis you can only imagine uh, that can only go on for so long and that's why the images I know people have seen mm. on the television screens the images of people looting United Nations uh, depots we we obviously don't don't want that to happen we want to do so in a controlled and strategic way but uh, you can understand people's desperation at yeah. this stage mm. especially uh, when you consider that there's no way out for Palestinians or for foreign nationals for that matter and and the Israelis telling people to move to the south of Gaza so that they won't get caught up in uh, the bombings. Uh, has Israel said anything to try to justify its assaults on the south, where undoubtedly a, a lot of people have fled, hoping uh, that they'll be able to live through this? Yes, well, you would have heard the commentary at the Security Council there, Michael. You, you played extensive uh, clips uh, from it. it. It's not really for uh, UNICEF as a neutral humanitarian agency to comment on the, the politics of it. Uh, but what, what we do insist on, and we were very clear at the Security Council yesterday, uh, that uh, both parties, uh, and this includes uh, Hamas, which has kidnapped innocent, completely innocent children and is holding them hostage, uh, which is a breach of international law, uh, that all parties to the conflict must observe uh, humanitarian law, not not to bomb civilian areas, not to bomb hospitals or schools or where people are uh, are sheltering. If I could just mention for a moment, if you don't mind, Michael, mm-hmm. just the, the water situation on the ground. As everybody knows, water is life. We've got too much of it here in Ireland, as we know. But the, I visited a, a UNICEF-sponsored water desalinisation plant just south of Gaza City. That's one of three desalinisation plants which we are supporting inside in Gaza. All three uh, are at very, very reduced capacity at the moment, at 5%. Uh, capacity, in fact, uh, they, those plants need water and chemical reagents for the desalinization process. So it needs fuel mm. and and uh, chemical agents for the desalinization uh, process. You know, we we have those chemicals uh, in trucks on the south uh, of the Rafa crossing, and water can't be used to bomb anybody. It can't be used to inflict. Uh, death water is absolutely essential for life and we're we are hearing increasingly concerning reports about uh, lack of access to water normally in humanitarian situations and uh, uh, unicef would hope that people would get access to about 15 meters of water a day that's usually the bare minimum <laughs> we we understand now that it's down to about between one and three litres of water a day. So we're desperately anxious to get these desalinisation plants up and running to provide water from inside Gaza, which is just critically important. And the consequence, if that doesn't happen, undoubtedly that people will die of thirst if uh, they don't die of cholera before that. 
Correct. I mean, you know, in, in any humanitarian situation, you know, be it a, a hurricane or an earthquake where the water supply is damaged, that's one of our uh, key areas of responsibility. The provision of water is absolutely central to those who have been affected because, uh, you know, the immediate effects of uh, a, a lack of water, very reduced supplies of water, usually is the spread of disease, as you mentioned, cholera and other waterborne diseases. And then you combine that with people crammed into uh, our sister UN agency, UNRWA, their shelters uh, in, in extremely confined spaces, you know, without access to toilet, sanitation, hygiene, limited quantities of water. It's just a powder keg in terms of the spread of a disease. And what we mm. usually see is, you know, children suffering from severe dehydration, uh, diarrhea and so forth. And that's, it's, that's what, uh, I hate to say it, that is what uh, tips children over the, the edge itself mm. is, is the diseases uh, that, that flow from lack of water. Yeah, and the ability to care for those children if 420 children are being killed or injured every day and there isn't the fuel to keep the hospitals running, uh, you're talking about uh, another serious separate problem. Yes, the, the lack of fuel is is uh, really, really critical now at this stage, uh, again, because the, uh, the hospitals need, obviously, power generation. Uh, the hospitals have extremely limited quantities uh, of fuel to run uh, generators. And we're, you know, we're talking about, uh, we're talking about incubators for newborn children, Uh if if power supply is cut to those incubators, if there isn't enough fuel to supply those those incubators, the inevitable consequence is those children will lose their lives. And that's just one mm. a small but horrific example of what happens when there isn't fuel, but also fuel to power uh, transportation, to power trucks, to, to distribute it, the limited amounts of aid that are getting in, that needs fuel to transport it from the south up to the the middle of Gaza up to the north of Gaza. And thirdly, as I said, fuel is is a vital component to water treatment plants, desalinization plants, even our our water water treatment, water generation plants, like the the desalinization plants, they need fuel. And the the water treatment plants have long since stopped, of course, and it's just raw sewage just flowing out into the the Mediterranean. So it's a very... uh, it's because because of the fact that the, the it's such a confined area, Michael. That's what's really giving rise to the fact of a, of a very serious humanitarian situation. Because in in normal, you know, post earthquake or post storm, post hurricane uh, humanitarian situations, people can move. Uh, here you can't move, yeah. uh, and there is, of course, on top of that, just the continuous bombing. So mm. it's a it's a very sad situation. It really is. Uh, millions of lives in the balance. UNICEF continues to work on the ground in Gaza best as uh, you possibly can under these unthinkable circumstances and uh, the biggest call from UNICEF and as you say the other aid agencies in the region is to let the aid get in so that you can do the work that you're doing there and continue to do it and to help people through this. We leave there for the moment Peter. Thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this welcome. morning. Peter Power, Executive Director of UNICEF Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well as you know the Citizens Assembly on Drugs has concluding, concluded I beg your pardon, it's deliberate 
operations after almost seven months of meetings and hearing from experts and uh, the different opinions on what should happen next in terms of the approach that we take as a society to the use of drugs. The Assembly has recommended that a health-led approach be used. This Assembly was asked to consider the legislative policy and operational changes we could make to significantly reduce the harmful effects of illicit drug use on individuals, their families, communities and wider society. This was a significant task given the multifaceted nature of the problems associated with drugs misuse. But I'm sure that at this stage, you know that better than most. Over the course of six or seven short months, you were asked to listen, learn, engage, discuss, and most importantly, deliberate on these issues. You had the benefits of experts and academics from Ireland and internationally, and you've also had the benefit of hearing people's lived experience. I know that your assembly has operated to the highest standards in terms of deliberative democracy, and I expect that your recommendations, whatever they may be, will reflect the collective wisdom of a dedicated and varied group of people from right across the country. As you know, once your work concludes this weekend, your report will be finalised and submitted to the Oireachtasan government by the end of this year. I can ensure you that the government and the Oireachtas will carefully consider and respond comprehensively to your recommendations. That's uh, Taoiseach Leo Bradker speaking to members of uh, the Assembly as they concluded their work. Uh, and as you heard, uh, this will go to the government at the end of the year. The recommendation... Uh, The key recommendation is that all drugs would be decriminalised. Here's the chair of uh, the Assembly, Paul Reid. My final message actually is to to the Taoiseach and government to really do embrace these recommendations. I mean, we've expressed frustration before uh, that, you know, I'll say one more time, if a legislation was agreed in 2017 and agreed by government in 2019 and it's nowhere to be seen as we head into 2024. This can't happen with this report. This can't happen with these recommendations. We've set out we want the most senior accountability level at government level, a dedicated cabinet committee. We don't want this hanging on a shelf. We want it going to the Oireachtas. We want it going to government straight away. Uh, People's lives are at stake. This is not just about a policy. This is about saving people's lives, about saving families, saving communities, destigmatizing people who have been marginalized through many of the harms caused by drugs. So my special plea to Taoiseach, thanks for your kind comments. What really may make a difference for us is you embrace this report and implement it. And that's uh, Paul Reid, the chair of the Citizens' Assembly on Drugs. Let's speak to Jackie McKenna, who's the project coordinator with FASN. That's the Family Addiction Support Network. A very good morning to you, Jackie. Thanks for joining us, as always, on the programme today. What do you make of the recommendations from the Citizens' Assembly, that main recommendation for all drugs to be decriminalised? And can you balance that in your mind with what Paul Reid was saying there that if you do that you'll save lives you'll save families you'll save communities Hi good morning Michael Um, uh, I didn't know really a lot about about the Citizens Assembly or what to expect from it I was intrigued and delighted that it was designed to give voice to the people living in Ireland and place them at the heart of important legal and policy issues based in Irish society so um, I'll come on to the uh, decriminalisation bit in a minute because 
the 36 recommendations, five jump out for me because they resonate completely with the activities of the Family Addiction Support Network. Okay. And uh, because it recognises and values um, the resource of the role of family members and um, and focusing on building resilient, sustainable communities. Um, We also believe in using evidence-based approaches to harm reduction. And we're also enhancing the resilience and mental health and well-being and prevention capital across the region in mm. the northeast with the activities that we have been involved in or that we are providing. And we have also been involved in two submissions to the Citizens Assembly this year. And one was a joint submission between the Irish Bishops Drugs Initiative from Fasten, who work in collaboration to provide education and support to primary and secondary level schools, but also... Another um, uh, presentation was made in the form of a physical representation of family members uh, impacted by loved ones' substance misuse uh, through the National Family Support Steering Group that was developed in uh, with Boston mm. uh, as um, in a response to uh, the closure of the National Family Support Network because that meant that uh, the voice of families was missing from the government table. So our recommendations were to adopt a whole family uh, recovery approach in response to drug-related harms because um, we really need uh, to understand the trauma and the, the addiction an awful lot more. And recovery is a journey that the whole family takes. So... Boston does this by supporting families to have their needs met and we create an environment where people learn for themselves and then we respond to their needs by developing by developing services following a harm reduction ethos. So yes, mm-hmm. I'm delighted uh, that this has come about um and that the government will be listening to uh people with lived experience. Mm. and uh, value that expertise and going forward. Okay. Uh, And obviously, uh, as you say, there's the 36 recommendations. That key recommendation of decriminalising drugs shouldn't happen in isolation. There should be all of these other measures, this health-led approach that they're talking about so that addicts in particular can be supported and helped out of their addiction, but that those systems would be in place in line with decriminalising drugs. Uh, Do you support the idea of decriminalising drugs And can you understand what Paul Reid was saying there about saving lives, saving families, saving communities, if you were to do that? Absolutely, I do. Yes, we do. Uh, We did research back in 2019 uh, around the needs of families. And that was one of the recommendations that was coming up through families is the decriminalisation of drugs uh, for um, personal use. Mm. I wouldn't be, or we wouldn't be in... um, support of total decriminalisation of all drugs. Uh, But definitely, uh, you know, uh, the the decriminalisation that we're talking about, uh, we wouldn't approve of the liberal approach uh, that has been taken in some countries. Mm. And we really believe that uh, it should involve the the traffic and sale and cultivation and production of drugs remains a serious criminal offence. 
and when a person is found to be in possession of a very small quantity of drugs for personal use, and instead of them being charged with a criminal offence, yeah. then they'd be brought to a panel who decide what sanctions they receive. They'd be referred on to uh, yeah. a, 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 yeah. a health service provider who would help yeah. them. With their, but uh, so that's all well and good. You're not in favour of legalising the drugs. It's just what happens to the person found to be using or in possession. But does that not mean that if there isn't any real judicial consequence, if you're not going to end up in court or in prison, that you'll end up with people injecting heroin or smoking joints outside of schools and crashes? Um, uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, sorry, would you just run that past me again? Yeah, Michael, well, well, if I there's was no, thinking ahead when you were talking. There. That's no problem, run. Jackie. If there's no real consequence, uh, if a guard comes along and finds you using heroin or snorting cocaine or smoking a joint, if there's no real consequence, if you're not going to be arrested and you might be sent on for some sort of service for having used drugs, uh, if that's the only consequence, does that mean that people will end up not caring where they use the drugs? And could we see all those things happening outside of schools or creches or elsewhere? No, I don't think so. I think for we're, for, I wouldn't be in favour of decriminalising all drugs. Um, and it shouldn't be used. Uh, all drugs, drugs shouldn't be seen to be, uh, shouldn't be tolerated in open spaces um, and the rehabilitation of the drug user is paramount I think to the success of decriminalisation because then they're uh, supported through the likes of drug courts where um, treatment is an option instead of um, incarceration or, or yeah, criminalisation mm-hmm. so um, and I think that uh, we really need to look at the Portuguese model because Gwen and myself was at the the Global Harm Reduction um, Conference in Oporto in 2020. And uh, one of the things that really jumped out to me there was that they said that you can't, if you're going to be serious about uh, decriminalisation. You can't just pick out one or two things to suit your country. You have to take the whole lot in in the whole. Mm. Um, because I think the Portuguese model was set up primarily to reduce the number of drug-related deaths. And um, I know that it has been implemented in some shape or form all around uh, Europe in 30 countries or something. But the Portuguese model is still the one that has the lowest amount of drug-related deaths. Mm. So I think that we should be looking at um, looking at that model very closely and following it. Okay. All right. Uh, and you wouldn't be concerned that this is the first step to legalising drugs? Um, I would strongly oppose any legalisation of drugs. Like, I mean, why would you? Uh, why would you? Take alcohol, for instance. If that was... Uh, alcohol would be a Class A drug today if it was invented. And uh, why would we legalise it? It's the biggest harm that's caused to society today in Ireland, uh, right across the board. So why not learn from mistakes? Okay. 
Jackie, we leave it there for the moment. Many thanks, though, for joining us, as always. Jackie McKenna, Project Coordinator with FASN. That's the Family Addiction Support Network. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, thanks as always to Stephen in Drogheda who has uh, sent us a, a text on WhatsApp uh, wondering how many people were stopped for speeding over the weekend. Thanks uh, for that, Stephen. I'm not sure what prompted you to ask that question, but it is an interesting question, uh, especially given the news over the weekend that fewer Gardaí are policing the roads these days. Uh, but Stephen also was in touch with us on Friday wondering about the Lou Festival and because he lives in the centre of the town he was saying that he has to put up with noise levels his floor vibrating from the sound coming from speakers and that sort of thing and that not everybody uh, would be in favour of uh, the Lou Festival this is the Festival of Lights in Drogheda and he wonders how many people in Drogheda actually liked it he said no disrespect but I think it was boring thanks uh, for sharing that with us Stephen Uh, the complete opposite of everything I've heard from people People uh, who went in to see the light show uh, and all that goes with it in Drogheda, the Lou Festival over the weekend. Uh, very, very positive reports from anybody uh, who saw it, uh, unlike Stephen, obviously. Uh, we had uh, a couple of uh, text messages uh, then about the situation in the Middle East. Benjamin Netanyahu is a dictator of the highest order, says one of our callers. What God-given right has he to starve a nation? And he calls himself Christian. Beelzebub comes to mind, says our caller. Thanks very much. Um, I don't think uh, he does call himself Christian, doesn't he? I presume he's uh, Jewish, uh, like uh, most of the Israeli population. Uh, Peter in touch with us saying Israel is committing massive crimes against humanity in Gaza. What's wrong with the United Nations that they won't sanction the Israelis, uh, they were very quick to sanction Russia for their war in Ukraine. Why is the whole of the world afraid of this tiny nation the size of Leinster? They've kept the Palestinian people of Gaza in an open prison for 70 years now. Israel is the aggressor and it's time the whole world sanctioned them and boycotted anything coming out of Israel uh, until they come to their senses. They're a bloodthirsty race now and God himself will make them pay a heavy price for the non-stop bombing of children in Gaza, says Peter. Thanks uh, for that, Peter. Israel says it's defending itself uh, and it seems uh, that uh, the majority of countries uh, are in support of that defence that it's putting up which is the assault on Palestine, on Gaza. Mag Y, thank you. Uh, She says, Hamas slaughtered 1,400 unarmed people have taken over 200 hostages. They're still bombing Israel. They came into Gaza and killed the elected government of Gaza in 2005. Hamas stroke Iran do not care about the Palestinian people. We in Ireland do care about the Palestinian people and the Israeli people. Hamas have got to be eliminated totally. Thanks uh, Mag as always for your message to the programme. Thanks to anybody who's been 
in touch with us so far. Always great to get your thoughts, your text messages, your phone calls. However you want to talk to us, uh, we're delighted to hear from you. Our phone number is 0419832000. If you want to ring us today, maybe you want to make comment uh, on that number 0419832000. Share your thoughts with us by giving us a call or texting us or WhatsApping us on 0861800658 or email Michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, a lot of Dundalk and North Loud underwater. Let's uh, hear a little bit more uh, about uh, the problems people are experiencing. Uh, first of all, we've Green Party councillor Marianne Butler on uh, the line. Good morning to you, Marianne. Thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, you're at the Bay Estate in Dundalk. Uh, maybe you'd tell us what's in front of you. Uh, well, firstly, I'm looking over at the entrance to um, from Hazelwood Avenue into Oakvale. Uh, an, an awful lot of water lying there. Uh, just as I look down towards um, uh, Cypress Avenue as well, residents have pulled out wheelie bins to block the road because obviously people driving through this are creating waves and could cause you know more damage to property if it hasn't already happened already. Mm. Um, I think the big concern here is that it's going to start raining again at 8 o'clock tonight um, and, you know, we need to put things in place to, to protect residents and their properties. Um, like, there isn't a sign of a sandbag anywhere around here just yet. Uh, I have been in contact with um, with the council about this and I know they're meeting probably as we speak or they've just, they've just met about putting stuff in place tonight because obviously this could get worse. Mm, Hazelwood is bad. The Bay Estate uh, would uh, appear... Uh, to have a significant uh, amount of water. Photographs I'm looking at uh, would uh, seem to show that it's halfway up uh, the height of a car wheel, if not higher than that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I'm seeing um, uh, just in Oakvale as as well, that it is hitting the body of of an ordinary saloon-type car, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, Yeah, I've been around uh, the school, the Willowdale area, uh, the entrance to the school, an awful lot of water there. There's a big section of Cherryvale as well, um, an awful lot of lying water. And I would just urge people, if, if you have a choice, please don't drive your car through, through those flood waters for so many reasons. Um, just, you know, unless you really need to make that journey or you really need to be on that street, try yeah. to avoid the area. Looking at an awful photograph of Clunenda in Dundalk as well, again, uh, under an awful lot of water, and the concern uh, in that forecast uh, with more heavy rain expected this evening? Absolutely. Like, uh, like I looked at the forecast, it's going to start raining again at 8 o'clock. I think we're getting storm curing properly then. Um, and obviously, if you know what's there at the minute hasn't subsided, um, we're just adding more water to that. And the, the risk of damage to, to people's property is huge. And we need to put emergency measures in place ASAP. Yeah. Okay. Stay with me, if you would, please, Marianne. We're also joined by Anton Waters, Sinn Fein uh, councillor, uh, and North Louth uh, seeing an awful lot of, of rain, and Omid in particular uh, really bearing the brunt of this. Uh, I think you've described it as being underwater. M- Michael, it's it's horrendous. There's no other way of describing it. The, the volume of water that has uh, come down around the peninsula in the last. Uh, 24 hours, like it basically ran rain constantly for five, six hours yesterday evening, even more. Um, there's places flooded that never flooded before. There's homes, businesses, 
it's it's an absolute mess. Um, we were out trying to get sandbags out last night. You were trying. It's like putting a plaster on on it because it couldn't physically deal with the amount of water that's coming down. You know, mm. it's horrendous, Michael. And it's across the peninsula: Carlingford, Omeed, Greenore. The whole area, high, uh, even up in the mountain areas, like there's there's rivers basically running down the road, Michael. I've never seen the force of water coming uh, down. All the rivers are burst. Anyone who's living beside a river is at risk. Um, it's just uh, damage uh, prevention at the minute. We're trying to get sandbags out from the dock, but as Marianne said, uh, we're, we're really under pressure number-wise for sandbags, so... We're just really struggling at the minute, if I'm honest with you. Mm. We're waiting to get an update from the emergency team uh, who were meeting earlier this morning. Mm. Um, I've requested that we have a meeting to try and uh, coordinate a response and, you know, tell people where sandbags are going to be, Michael. But um, it's just not great. And we're expecting a high tide now. I think it's around 12 o'clock. There's going to be a high tide, so we're under pressure, Michael, around then. Not, not just the additional rain, the high tides uh, will uh, make it all, all, all the worse, as you say, uh, and flooding at Flagstaff and Bush uh, as well. Hard to understand how there's flooding at the top of a mountain, but there's also been the collapse of a bridge at the big river near Riverstown, I'm told. Yeah, that's just off the main road, Michael Dar one seven three. Um like there's roads washing down all round the place. The tough road needing tubber washed down onto the road, tarmac and everything down onto the road. Um it's so dangerous I would just be telling people, unless you have to travel, do not travel. The main road is so bad, Dar one seven three. The water can't get off the road. There's people getting stuck in it. I would just say stay stay at home if you can. I know the kids are off school, thank God this week. Um, but we really need to get um, the levels down and hopefully we can before the storm mm. comes this evening. All right, well, tell us a, a little bit more about uh, the lack of sandbags and so forth because the council has been meeting an emergency session this morning, has it? Yes, there was an I requested an emergency meeting at 8 o'clock this morning with the elected reps so we could try and figure out a, a coordinated approach because we're all inundated with calls, Michael. We need to have a, an overarching plan here where there's going to be sandbags at such a place and I know there's loads of people. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Willing to help distribute them, but I was there last night. There was loads of sandbags there last night. Uh, I was helping to give them out, and it was great, and the on-call team were doing great work. But... Um, just the, the quantity that's needed, Michael, there's so much needed, so uh, we're just really struggling. I know they're filling sandbags at the minute to try and get them out to people, but we need them the whole way around the place. Um, it's not just in one area, Michael. We need them throughout the peninsula because, as I say, I've seen it. I've seen uh, videos of houses, bedrooms flooded with mm. children in cots. It's horrendous stuff what's going on. Yeah, and uh, that's if it, it can stop the water from coming in, but uh, it's a question of potluck at the moment, is it? Uh, if they get sandbags to you in time? Well, look, hopefully in the next 15, 20 minutes we'll we'll have an update from the council as to what's been planned. But at the minute, yeah, we're, we're really fighting against time to get the sandbags out to us. Mm. It may not even fully stop the water. One of the business premises in County for the water came in the window. So we went up over the sandbags yeah. and in one of the windows. So mm. even when you have sandbags, Michael, it's not going to fully stop it. But you're trying to divert the water, and that's what you're trying to do. You can't stop nature. You're trying to stop the water and move it to move it down past you. Mm. But unfortunately, the damage it's doing on the way down is... is it's detrimental to properties, you know. Yeah, and likewise, Marianne, then in the town, I'm sure people are desperate to hear from the council. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, like so many areas, parts of Bay State, Clunenda, Greenwood Drive, so many different areas of the town, they're so low-lying. Um, and again, people, you know, probably the, the water hasn't got into their house today but they're afraid about tonight and you know that reassurance and that protection of getting those sandbags is so impo- so important Okay well uh, keep it in touch uh, please both of you if you can and we're uh, in contact with uh, the council and we'll update our listeners uh, as soon as there is news forthcoming uh, but thank you indeed uh, for the overview of what has been a disastrous night for so many people in Dundalk and in North Louth uh, Marianne Butler uh, Green Party Councillor and Anton Waters Sinn Féin Councillor there. Now, uh, let's uh, return to the situation in the Middle East uh, with some very strong comments uh, this morning from people uh, who uh, are very critical of uh, what Israel is doing in Gaza. Maybe we can hear some of the Israeli justification for that assault uh, on Gaza. Let us all remember We are meeting here while Palestinians in Gaza are under the bombs. Remember that you are speaking while families are being killed, while hospitals are coming to a halt, while neighborhoods are being destroyed, while people are fleeing from one place to another with nowhere safe to go. I urge you to choose your words carefully and to act accordingly. 
for all those mobilized against an even greater man-made humanitarian catastrophe or of a regional spillover. And these are worthy goals, we say. Stop the bombs or both will happen. Stop the bombs and save lives as the President of the General Assembly has indicated. All lives, lives of children, of civilians, of 2.3 million civilians in the Gaza Strip. That's the Palestinian ambassador to the United Nations, Riyadh Mansour, uh, appealing for uh, a ceasefire uh, to save the 2.3 million people in Gaza. Sadly, this emergency session has nothing to do with peace. Every member state here today who is convinced that we are about to discuss yet another round of conflict in the Middle East, another dispute between Israel and the Palestinians, is wrong. The October 7th massacre and what ensued has nothing to do with the Palestinians. Nothing. It has nothing to do with the Arab-Israeli conflict or the Palestinian question. This is not a war with the Palestinians. Israel is at war with the genocidal jihadist Hamas terror organization. Only. It is the law-abiding democracy of Israel against modern-day Nazis. These are the facts. Right, and that's uh, Gilad Erdan, who's Israel's ambassador to the United Nations, uh, both uh, of uh, those men, uh, speaking uh, about the conflict from very, very different perspectives. If you'd like to make comment on our programme today, our telephone number is 0419832000, text or WhatsApp 0861800658, email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, if you need to be somewhere at a, a certain time and you want to arrive on time, probably advisable not to get the bus in Ashburn or Rathoth. Uh, it's uh, being described as chaotic uh, by local Sinn Féin TD, Darren O'Rourke, who joins us now. And a very good morning to you, Darren O'Rourke, and thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. You've raised this in uh, the doll, and we heard from independent councillor Gillian Toole uh, in the last couple of weeks, hoping that this would be uh, addressed at a national level because the amount of cancellations, particularly with the 103, isn't it, are, are just beyond belief. Bus Aaron doesn't seem capable of uh, delivering a reliable bus service. No, that's the case, Michael. And it is, uh, I've said it's, we're, we're in the middle of uh, an absolute crisis and it's not just the 103 service. I think uh, listeners from across County Mead, we look at the, the NX service in uh, Navin, for example, the express service there. I know the, the 109, the 109A from, from Kells and up to the airport and, and through Navin there they're experiencing something similar here. So there is an absolute crisis, and that's not overstating it, in public bus services in County Mead at this point in time. Um, And it is really undermining confidence in the services. Um, It is 
far, far below what is uh, required or expected. And it's having a, a very real impact on the lives of people getting to work, getting to school and college, making hospital appointments, um, just a basic day-to-day. Um, and it is a, an absolute crisis, Michael. And it's... it's yeah. um, you, you raised this, though, uh, in the doll on a debate on road safety, uh, and you made your points uh, to the Minister for Transport, Eamon Ryan. I, I don't think he, he responded at, at the time. Have you heard anything from the Minister since then? No, so I've, I've heard from, from Bus Aaron, from the NTA, and there's a commitment from, from the Minister uh, to raise this uh, wish, Bus Aaron and the NTA, and for Bus Aaron and the NTA to come before the Oireachtas Transport Committee later in November. That's a, a request that I had made. Um, but but in, in truth, um, this requires, in my opinion, an immediate and urgent response. And just to give mm. give an example, like those, you know, headline figures, like these are, all of these services are high frequency services that are really well used. So people depend on them um, and they organize their day around uh, around these services. So, so when you have, for example, um, an hour's worth of, uh, 103s cancelled in the middle of uh, rush hour traffic. It just it just backs up and means that there are literally hundreds of people standing at at, at bus stops. And uh, understandably, the buses that that come fa- subsequent mm. uh, are completely overcrowded and, and, and can't take the, the capacity. So I would say that thousands of passengers across County Mead have been failed by bus services in, in, in recent weeks. Um, bus Aaron point towards you know a shortage of uh, mechanics yeah. which is which is a new enough mm. development and the shortage of drivers which yeah. is a, an ongoing uh, issue with them but but ultimately there is you know th- this is a service that is not delivering anywhere close to to, to what is required mm. now the NTA well, well there are excuses like, people don't want excuses people want buses Exactly. That's, uh, exactly that's the their point. job uh, it's a job that uh, bus providers can deliver everywhere else in the world. I yeah, mean, it, sure. it's a pathetic service if you can't rely on the bus. No, I, I, absolutely. And at a time, bear in mind that we're encouraging people. Like, this this should be a success story. You know, we're encouraging people mm. onto public transport. People are using it. You know, you drive by or you, you walk by uh, bus stops in, in County Mead and in our main urban settings, and you will see scores of people standing there, you know, frustrated. Like, I've, I've seen it before. I was in and out of, of Ashbourne. You see people standing and they're, they're in good form, maybe waiting five or ten minutes expecting the, ne- the next bus. You, you, you go back up the road an hour later and mm. they're there forlorn, you know, frustrated and, and, yeah. and angry. Um, Tran- and, and, and trying to explain to their boss or ringing the hospital, apologising because they're late for an appointment or whatever it is. I mean, they're going somewhere uh, with a, a purpose and they should be able to rely on the bus service and the bus service should be on time. Absolutely. And I can give individual cases here. I met a a constituent in in Retoth and they said, you know, their their son had a keyholder responsibility in Dublin, uh, couldn't uh, sustain that that job because they couldn't rely on the public bus service. They were literally saying that their their son was sending pictures of themselves, selfies at the bus stop saying, I am here, I'm waiting to go to work. It's not me, it's 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 the bus service. I have the same in Kells this morning, a, a constituent who's registered blind who depends entirely on the on the public bus service and mm. um, has a keyholder responsibility job in Navan. And for example, this is another example of it. 
So the list of cancellations is absolutely unprecedented. But, for example, and, and I've a number of people contacted me this morning in relation to the, the, the service from, from, from Kells, the, the 815 service didn't turn up at 8.15, um, wasn't registered as cancelled, uh, but turned up along with another bus at 8.45. Of course, if you're waiting for the 8.15 and depending on the 8.15 service, um, you don't you don't make it on time, on, on time for work. And what the bus driver says in that case is, I was waiting on a bus, there wasn't a bus available for me to, to drive. So there's absolute chaos in the system here. So he turns um, up a half hour late. Absolutely, and you have, long, wait, you, have to, you have to wait. You have to wait for a half an hour on the bus, not knowing if one is going to come or not. There's no information. Absolutely, and, and I have another example uh, this morning where you know the the, the bus cancellation uh, list on Bus Aaron's website, um, which is you know updated on an hourly basis. For example, the seven fifteen one hundred three was cancelled. People weren't notified of that cancellation until eight o'clock this morning. You know, so it's it's just three quarters uh, of an hour late. Exactly, exactly that they that they were notified of a cancellation. But who wants to know at eight o'clock that a seven fifteen bus sure. was cancelled? I mean, you exactly. need to know so at seven so o'clock that it's not going yeah. to come. Yeah, and and to add insult to injury from from. Uh, from the commuter's perspective, when when we raise these questions with Bus Aaron, the initial responses we got from them is that over ninety five, over ninety seven percent of services, all these services are fully operating, and that we have a ninety one percent customer satisfaction. Is that supposed rating. to be good? I mean, that's not that's not good enough. You want a hundred percent of the buses, or at least ninety nine point nine percent of the buses, to be running on time. And presume you'll always have some uh, small amount of problems. But yeah. this is just and, beyond belief. Yeah, and it, they no. should be they should be giving you those figures as well, uh, whether it's ninety seven percent or sixty five percent in county made or specifically yeah, sure. in the areas that you're mentioning. And they're they obviously historic figures if they relate to the services that, that I'm talking about because there is in the region of 15 to 20% cancellations mm. every single day. Do they understand? Uh, Do you think that they understand what it means when 20% of the buses are cancelled uh, on one given day or 15% on a, another day? Do you think that these people have ever lived without a car and relied on public transport to do all of the things that people get on a bus to do? Well, I, well, I think within it, what you're seeing is responses from, from Bus Aaron, uh that is, you know, they're, they're political responses, they're corporate speak, they're, uh, they're covering themselves. Obviously, they're accountable to the NTA, yeah. to the department, to the minister. They're, you know, they're trying to put a, a positive uh, spin on these things. Obviously, I, I have to accept that you know, they have to realise uh, uh, that this service is nowhere near what is what is required mm. of them. They're likely to face fines in the future from the National Transport mm. Authority because their key performance indicators, the service standards yeah. are not where they are. But none of that is of any consolation to to con- commuters today or yesterday. Mm. And and the issue that I don't see from Bus Aaron or from the NTA yeah. is a contingency plan. Mm. What do we do in the middle of a crisis? But, How do we... But do they understand the crisis? I mean, that's the, that's the question I'm, I'm asking. Have these people ever relied on public transport? Uh, and I don't know the answer to that, uh, but you take it that there's such a laissez-faire approach to this, uh, telling you that it's all right, 97% of the buses run on time it is all right, uh, means that they don't understand what it means for 3% of the buses, or if that equates to 20% in Rat Oath, uh, they don't understand what that means to so many people who have to give up their job, who can't get to the hospital, who can't do the things that people rely on that service for. 
Well, well, I think a real frustration on my own behalf and on behalf of, of I would say, all public representatives, and you heard from, from uh, Gillian O'Toole in, mm-hmm. in, in recent days, and I'd say it's across the political spectrum, and particularly from, from local councillors in, in the area, a huge frustration with the level of communication or the lack of communication from Bossier. And this is, you know, this is an ongoing issue. I know from my own time, time in the council, you're constantly chasing Bossier to get them to committees, trying to get the, the, the National Trans- Transport mm. Authority before the full council, before municipal districts to answer questions in terms of the level of service. It has fallen off the edge of a cliff in the meantime. Um, it has never been worse, I would say, than it has been in, in recent weeks. And what we see none of from the National Transport Authority or from Bus Aaron is a contingency plan. So how mm. can they, you know, they're not answering questions in terms of, you know, can you redeploy resources mm. from, from elsewhere? But they, can you, do you know, they know, know how to put a timetable together? I mean, do they know how to put a reasonable timetable together? Uh, and, uh, I mean, we spoke to the Chief Executive of Bus Aaron a few months ago about an airport bus being late every day by a half an hour. And he said, well, it's very complicated and the roads are busy and, you know, we've uh, towns that are backlogged and all this sort of thing. But the, the solution would seem simple. If the bus is late by a half an hour every day, schedule it to run a half an hour later. I mean, they're the kind of things that people yeah. would tell you if yeah. they're using the bus. And that's why I'm asking this question. Has anybody who has the responsibility of, of scheduling buses the experience of using them and the importance of them being on time. Do they understand what it means to people when they're late and how that ruins lives? That's, that's an entirely legitimate question. And of course, it's the National Transport Authority who scheduled, uh, and, and this is you know, maybe some of the, 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 the difficulty in relation to this, the National Transport Authority who set the, who set the routes and set the timetable. It's then for the service providers, whether it's Dublin Bus or, or Bus Aaron or, or, or somebody else, to, to go and deliver those services. And what, what you hear from uh, Bus Aaron is they're, they're struggling to deliver those services because of mechanics and because of drivers, and the NTA are hands-off for a period, and then they'll issue fines every so often, and that's the level of, of, of accountability. But actually, where in, in, in practical terms, and bear in mind that there's a commitment to expand services uh, uh, in, in, in many areas, they're actually failing to deliver the existing level of service, the committed service that that's already there, and as you said, it has real, it has huge implications uh, for 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 people in their in their day to day lives, trying to make work and school and uh, and hospital appointments and everything else that that goes with it. And it's not enough to say, you know, that's a high frequency service should should just wait twenty minutes, wait half an hour, because we know these buses are are in high demand, they're well used, and it mm. means that the the the, the service that follow after. Um, can't take the, the the additional load, and we have you know a real frustration there. Wait, you know, wait, so. twenty minutes. Uh, I'd like to see some of these executives get out of uh, their leather chairs and their big offices and leave their car behind and stand in the cold and the rain and end up frozen to the bone and drenched to the skin when they eventually get a bus. Yeah, no, absolutely, and, and I think what what we need to see from them, and we haven't seen at all neither myself nor I can see any other public representative, is a clear contingency plan. So how do we organise to, to minimise the impact? Like, we, we, mm-hmm. we can appreciate, right, there may be challenges in terms of delivering services with, you know, with recruiting drivers, retaining drivers. We had COVID and, and everything else that went with that. Um, 
uh, the same in terms of, of mechanics. But is there, like, for, for me, Bus Aaron should be looking at literally every uh, part of their operation to, to, to try and minimise the impact of, of, of these challenges. You know, so are there resources that can be redeployed? Is there overtime that could be worked? Are there, you know, is there, is there, you know, maintenance schedules that could be stretched a little bit to keep vehicles on the road a little bit longer? You know, not, not that wouldn't compromise uh, health and safety or anything, or, or anything else. Is there, is there capacity in the private system that could be, could be used? And, and, and ultimately, um, the question has to be asked, are, you know, are Bus Aaron fit to deliver the service that has been committed to, uh, um, or is there, is there something that needs to be looked at in, in relation to that in terms of, as you say, yeah. you know, if this service can't be delivered at this frequency, um, do we need to reduce the, the, the frequency of it? That's something I wouldn't like to see, but I think people would be happier to, to see a service that was delivered on time yeah. um, and, and, and reliably than, you know, a commitment to three extra buses an hour and only one of them shows up. Yeah. Dublin to Navan, or Navan to Dublin, sorry, at 12 o'clock, cancelled. Dublin to Navan at 12 o'clock, cancelled. Navan to Dublin at 12.40, cancelled. Dublin to Navan at 13.12, cancelled. And I could continue to read off that list, 14 buses in a row cancelled in one day. That's uh, been sent in to us by a listener who says, that's what my daughter was facing last week, and every day it takes her hours to get to and from college. Really is anything but good enough, isn't it, Darren? Absolutely, and and, and we and that's before we get into Michael. Um, you know, the, the direct service to DCU been cancelled. You know, the lack of direct services mm. from from many places, including the likes of we're told that we should be far more services direct. The, the, the likes of the the connections with the the M3 Parkway, the likes of so many areas across the county that don't have any services or, or decent services. So it's, it is, you know, I would say we're in the, I hope this is the eye of the storm, but we need a plan to get out of it. It is completely unacceptable and there needs to be accountability and the responsible authorities are Bus Aaron and the NTA and the department and the minister need to ensure that there is accountability and most importantly that there is an improvement in these services because what we have at the minute is uh, uh, completely unacceptable. Thanks indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Sinn Féin TD for me, the East, Darren O'Rourke. Now, speaking of the eye of the storm, if uh, you're in North Louth, uh, I'm sure you'll be interested to know that there are sandbags uh, available now through the council. Our thanks uh, to Anton Waters, uh, who's been back on to us to say that you can get sandbags at Louth County Council at the Bush Yard. So the yard at Bush, if you're looking for sandbags, uh, that's uh, the latest that we have uh, on uh, assistance from the council for you. We'll update you uh, through the day, undoubtedly, on all of uh, the programmes uh, because uh, we've uh, this high tide uh, and then the fear of more flooding as a result of heavy rain this evening. Anyway, as I say, we'll uh, keep you up to date best we can on all of that throughout the day on LMFM. If you want to comment on our programme today, our phone number 0419832000, text or WhatsApp 086-1800-658, email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Members of Meath County Council have voted in favour of a motion uh, that uh, was uh, sponsored uh, by Fianna Fáil Councillor Stephen McKee, who's the Cahirlick of the Laytown Bettystown Municipal District. And this would 
result in Meath County Council uh, making sure that uh, the control of dogs uh, was fully enforced. Let's speak to Stephen McKee. A very good morning to you, Stephen. This is on beaches uh, that uh, you're talking about the enforcement of uh, the control of dogs. The laws are in place, they're bylaws at the moment, but do you believe that not enough is being done to control dogs? Is that right? Good morning, uh, Michael, and good morning to all your listeners. Yeah, um, I was, I was pleased to table a motion calling for the foreshore bylaws to be to be properly enforced on our local beaches. And um, we do have an issue at the moment where many people have a genuine fear, Michael, of going to the beach and even taking their own dogs to the beach. And, and I'm a dog owner myself, um, because they're afraid of being attacked by by animals and particularly dogs which are loose. And mm. um, we do have the Control of Dogs Act in 1998, which states that all dogs should be under effectual control. control um, in public areas at all times, you know whether that be on the lead uh, or otherwise, but they need to be effectively under control. And that is and the problem, is it not? That it doesn't necessarily mean on a lead. You see a lot of dog owners uh, who have wonderful control over their dogs. They flick their fingers and the dog sits down, or whatever the case may be. Uh, but if you can't do that, you have to have the dog on a lead. But that makes it a kind of grey area, doesn't it? It, it, it does in a way, Michael, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, it does in mm. a way, but I mean, it, it, it's clearly been flouted in a way where you have animals literally roaming our local beaches uh, that are clearly not under any sort of control. And and it, and it has become an issue, particularly we know that dog ownership has risen considerably in the last few years, particularly um, during, the, during the pandemic. Mm. Um, and I suppose the issue is responsible dog ownership and education. And I'm pleased the council have agreed to, as a start, to, to um, improve signage in the area. But I think um, it's very unfair in a lot of people. We have many people, senior citizens, vulnerable people who, you know, who love going to the beach, you know, and yeah. uh, get a great sense of, of well-being from going to the beach and love a walk down the beach. And it's beautiful down there. But unfortunately, many have stopped going to the beach as a result of dogs uh, not being under effective control. And we do have an issue of enforcement. And I'd like to see proper enforcement of the laws that are there. Uh, this could possibly be a case of uh, where there's no danger at all. We're talking about ha- happy, giddy little mutts running up to people to say hello uh, because they're friendly little dogs. Uh, but that's a, a matter of perception quite often because I- if people are afraid of dogs, they don't see it that way. They just see a dog running at them and they can be very afraid as a result. And it, it doesn't matter whether your dog is a, a threat or poses a, a threat. Your dog has to be under control, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and the reality is most dog owners are responsible. And, and it's frustrating for those who do care about their animals and, and, and do respect the law because at the end of the day, you know, even best behaved dogs can't be trusted 100% of the time, Michael. You know, the dogs have good days and bad days, they get distracted. Um, you know, and, and if, if anyone is in doubt, I think you should always keep your dog on the lead if, if there's any doubt at all. Um, and it is unfair on many people who visit the beaches who, who some people are afraid of dogs, others aren't. But there have been a lot, numerous incidents in the last few months, Michael, where other dogs have been attacked by loose animals and people as well have been attacked by dogs. So it is an issue that we need to get control of. Um, we, there needs to be mm. proper enforcement. I mean, my my understanding is that there haven't been any council enforcement proceedings to date in 2023 um, uh, on dogs that are not under effect control. That's a real issue. Well, I wonder when the last time a warden was on a beach, uh, apart from anything else, uh, and uh, you can't uh, enforce the laws unless you're policing them. Uh, But you're saying that people and dogs have been attacked by dogs that were on the loose. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I've received num- numerous 
complaints in the last, particularly in the last six months, I would say, um, to, 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 you know, to the animals and not mm. be under effect. And I've seen it myself. I, I, I'm a dog owner myself, yeah. Michael, and I have an occasion, I do an occasion bring the dog down to the beach on, an, on the lead. And I have seen dogs that are loose. And, and, and it is an issue. We do have a full-time dog mm. warden. We have three community wardens. Uh, there are fines in place. But the, the, the issue is uh, enforcement. And possibly, probably education is a big, mm. it's, it's going to be a big factor as well in, in trying to, to curb this problem. Well, mo- um, mo- most, most people don't believe that their dog's going to attack another person or another dog or a sheep uh, which is quite amazing at times when people go up the mountains but uh, to uh, stay with this issue on the beach when you say dogs have attacked people and dogs uh, what are you talking about people being bitten by dogs or are you talking about growling and uh, barking and threatening behaviour or what? Well, 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 everything you've mentioned there, yeah, yeah dogs yeah. Have, have, have attacked people. And, and there is an issue as well with dangerous breeds not being on muzzles. That's another issue as well. You know, there's numerous dangerous breeds that by, by law Ten. have to be... Yeah. On, yeah, yeah on, on a muzzle, and 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 I I've seen dogs uh, on the beach myself who are dangerous breeds who who aren't on muzzle, so that's an ongoing problem as well. And, they have to be muzzled. Um, they also have to be on a lead, and right. that uh, somebody over the age of sixteen has to be in control of them. Absolutely, yeah. And the problem is that, that there is a, a sense down on our beaches that there's a free for all. Uh, and as I said, probably, I mean, the, the, the big part of the solution is going to be dog ownership and responsibility. Dog owners taking responsibility yeah. for their pets and, and education. And you know, we do need improved signage on the beach as well to make people aware of their responsibilities as dog owners. Mm-hmm. It can't be, you know, the beach can't be a place where people just bring their animals and let them roam free. Uh, people have to be cognizant of the needs of others. There are a lot of um, vulnerable uh, people who use the beach on a daily basis and get great enjoyment from the mm. beach and who walk their dogs in a very responsible manner and it's very frustrating for people who do have dogs and mm. are responsible dog owners who respect the law that they're faced with this as well so it's very mm. unfair on everybody and then there's the toilet question Absolutely. Well, that's an issue as well in terms of the, the, in terms of water quality. Now, the, the, I know the council are committed to, um, you know, Bettystown Beach becoming in time uh, a blue flag beach, and the stringent criteria, Michael, uh, that have to be met, and thirty three criteria, I think, in total. And one one relates obviously to control of dogs. Another relates to the water quality issue as well. So that that is part of the, of the bigger bigger um, issue there. I know some places have uh, pet friendly zones on beaches. Um, that might be something that that's worth looking at, but. Um, I certainly don't have an issue with dogs being on the beach, but uh, and as I said, I have a dog myself, but they do need to be under effective control, and it is something that we we will have to deal with. And Mead County Council will have to deal with as well in terms of, of the application for a blue flag beach for Bettystown. Mm, it really is uh, uh, something that uh, people are afraid of, uh, and um, they have a right to be able to walk on the beach without feeling that sense of fear whether it's a perception or not if you feel that way that is your reality Uh, and I suppose if nothing else maybe that's something that dog owners would take into account but at all times to keep their dogs under control Stephen thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us on the programme we'll see uh, how the council reacts in reality in terms of policing the situation but thanks as I say to the Cahirlach of Laytown Bettystown Municipal District Stephen McKee is a Fianna Fáil councillor just looking at some of uh, the photographs uh, from Dundalk uh, with uh, Cherry Vale, Hazelwood, Willowdale. Um, we've Clunenda, uh, and it seems like no end to the amount of problems. I have to say, uh, it must be terribly uh, anxious uh, time for anybody living in any of uh, those states and how close the water is. Uh, It looks 
just one step away from getting into a lot of the houses uh, in Dundalk at the moment and that's why there's so much concern uh, about the weather this evening and, and uh, as we said so there's sandbags available in Bush from Louth County Council if that's of any use to you at this stage and we will keep you updated throughout the morning about the ongoing situation across the north of County Louth. Michael Reed on LMFM. I know, as as usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally, and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Kate Patterson joins us from Dundalk Garda Station for this week's report, and thank you indeed for doing so. We're going to start with an unusual theft of a vehicle. Unusual because of the location where this uh, vehicle was stolen from uh, on the M1 motorway. This happened uh, on Wednesday of last week. That's right, Michael. So sometime between Tuesday and Wednesday, so the Guardian, Dramad and Dundalk are investigating the unauthorised unauthorised taking of this vehicle from the M1 southbound at Feed in Dundalk sometime between 10am on Tuesday the 24th of October and 10am on Wednesday the 25th. The stolen vehicle, which was a 10 registered blue coloured Yaris, had broken down in the motorway on the Monday evening and had been pushed onto the hard shoulder by the driver and a member of the public who stopped to assist. So the following day, that's Tuesday the 24th at 10am, a towing company placed a number of cones around the vehicle and had planned to remove it from the hard shoulder the next day. However, when they did return the next day, they noticed that the vehicle had been removed from the location without the consent of the owner. So if you travelled southbound on the M1 between 10am on Tuesday the 24th of October and 10am on Wednesday the 25th and you noticed anybody interfering with this vehicle or maybe you have dash cam footage which may have captured anything untoward, we would urge you to assist the investigation by contacting Dundalk Garda Station. And the number in Dundalk is 042 Okay, we'll stay in Dundalk. There's a, a lot of concern for a 17-year-old girl, Emma McKenna, who has uh, been missing uh, for a good number of days at this stage. That's right, Michael. So ourselves, the Guardian Dundalk, we're reissuing our appeal and seeking the assistance of the public in tracing the whereabouts of 17-year-old Emma McKenna. Emma's missing from her home in the greater Dundalk area since last Thursday, the 25th of October. Emma, who's five foot six in height, slim build, and has very distinctive dyed red hair and brown eyes. And um, it's believed that she might be in the Dublin area, and anyone with any information on her whereabouts is asked to contact Dundalk Garda Station or indeed the Garda Confidential Line. And um, you can get the confidential line on 1800 <laughs> Next to Riverstown in RD and a break-in that occurred after 9 o'clock on Friday evening just gone. This was uh, at the home of an 83-year-old. Yes, Michael, so a very frightening and disturbing crime um, that Gardaí and RD are appealing for any information on. Basically, this was a frightening burglary which took place at the home of an elderly female at her home in Riverstown on Friday the 27th of October and just at around 9.20, so after just after 9pm, three masked intruders entered the home of the 83-year-old female by force and were armed with hurleys. Now, during the course of the burglary, they stole the victim's handbag and some of her jewellery. 
Although this was an absolutely terrifying experience, thankfully the victim was uninjured, although extremely shaken by the events. Now, some of the property that was stolen was found strewn um, on the M1 motorway. Um, so we do believe that the perpetrators in this incident, in this instance, made their way from RD to Drogheda uh, sometime between 9:30 p.m. and 10:30 p.m. on Monday evening, or sorry, on Friday evening. So, if you have any dash cam footage, if you travelled on the M1 southbound at that time, that's between 9:30 p.m. and 10:30 p.m. between RD and Drogheda southbound on Friday evening, we would ask that you please get in touch with RD Garda Station. The number in RD being 041. Really despicable incident and uh, we extend our best wishes uh, to that 83-year-old lady and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, hope uh, that uh, she uh, gets over that. Uh, It's despicable, as I say. I think a lot of people will be taken aback by that report. Now, we've been reporting uh, this morning on flooding in Dundalk, indeed, uh, across North Louth, generally speaking, uh, and uh, you have some information on roads that are impassable. Yes, Michael. So lots of concern up here in North Louth and South Armagh areas. Um, many of the streets and roads are impassable in the Cooley, O'Meath and Ravensdale areas following heavy downfalls overnight. The M1 motorway indeed at Junction 20 in Carrick Arnon between Murray and Dundalk has flooding in both the north and the southbound lanes and it's making driving conditions very treacherous. So this persistent heavy rain may lead to further flooding and we ask that the public take extra precautions of travelling in this weather. If you reside in an area which has been flooded, please ensure that any journey that you make is absolutely necessary. Driving through flooded areas can cause huge damage to your vehicle's engine and even just a half wheel steps of fast-flowing water could have the potential to move your car. Please, if you're travelling in flooded areas, reduce your speed, ensure your lights are on to increase your visibility and drive with access with extra water as this excess water can lead to aquaplaning. Now, the lines in Dundalk were very busy this morning, so please use 999 if you become stranded or if you believe there's any risk to your life or safety. Okay, uh, and we'll all be keeping our, our fingers crossed uh, this evening as well when more heavy rain uh, is uh, to follow. Uh, but we're going to conclude uh, with a message from Angarda Siakana wishing everybody a happy and safe Halloween. Absolutely, Michael. So I suppose weather permitting, uh, many of your listeners will come together to celebrate Halloween this evening with planned events all over the area. We just want to mention a few road closures initially. Um, There'll be road closures in place for the Puka Festival in Athboy between 7 and 8pm this evening and in Omeath from around 7pm on due to the Halloween night fireworks event over Carlingford Lock in conjunction with the Warren Point Safer Project, uh, Safer Warren Point Project. And again, that's all um, subject to weather conditions. So we would urge all parents to ensure that they know the whereabouts of their children and teenagers this evening any possession of illegal fireworks will not be tolerated and will be treated extremely seriously by our members on the ground. If you do plan on attending a fireworks display, please ensure that you're going to a specific, uh, an officially organised display that is licensed and in government by adequate safety measures. Stay a safe distance away from any bonfires and do be aware this evening that prevailing winds can carry sparks quite a long distance, um, which may take you by surprise and cause a fire hazard. If you come across a bonfire under construction or being lit today and it's close to a building or trees, vehicles or overhead cables, 
please contact your local authority at the earliest opportunity. We would urge your listeners not to leave any materials lying around that could be used for a bonfire and not to provide any persons with materials that they could burn on a bonfire. If you plan on taking your children trick-or-treating tonight, we would always say that kids should always be accompanied by an adult when they're going trick-or-treating, and ideally that adult should be wearing something that's highly reflective um, and makes them visible. The kids will be in dark clothing and they'll be hard for road users to see, so even when you're on footpaths and crossing roads in the states and built-up areas, make sure that you're be, you're safe and seen. And um, we would also say to people, it's normally a good or a good idea to skip houses that don't have any lights on, and do be aware that your elderly neighbours or neighbours with young babies might not want to trick or treaters and may prefer to be left alone. I think we all know at this stage that our pets should be kept indoors this evening. And it is a good idea that if you're attending a bonfire that you check the surrounding areas and ground for wildlife and habitation. Quite, enough, uh, quite often hedgehogs in particular go into hibernation at this time of the year and they may be sleeping in wood piles or heavy scrub and leaves. Finally, we'd just like to wish everyone a very safe, a very happy and a spectacular Halloween. Um, please check on your elderly elderly neighbours, especially those living alone, as Halloween can often be a frightening and lonely experience for them. Okay, well, a, a spectacular Halloween to you as well. Thank you very much. I'll get it eventually, Michael, <laughs> yes. Right. Thank you. Thank you indeed. Garda Thank Kate you. Patterson of uh, Dundalk Garda Station. Uh, we'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. That's our programme for today. Maggie McGuire Research. Chris Murray was at the control term. I'm Michael Godwilling. We'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.